the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, the border bill is dead. It was just the world's stupidest thing to attach aid to Ukraine and Israel. We'll hear from Larry O'Connor on what was bad about it. They have been ignoring existing law. They've been ignoring the law that the border should be protected. Senator John Cornyn explains why it died. If President Biden can't be trusted to enforce existing laws, then what gives us the confidence that he will enforce these new changes? And Brandon Weikert explains why we need to secure the border now. This is an existential issue. This is literally what it is to be an American and what it is to be America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Great to be with you. Catch my program each weekday morning, live, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time and on demand 24-7. Learn more at HughHewitt.com. Follow me, please, on X at Hugh Hewitt. Follow this program there as well at Town Hall Review. Town Hall Review is part of the Salem Podcast Network. We'll begin with the dead border bill. Legislation that became clear early this week was deader than the parrot in the old Monty Python bit. Now that's what I call a dead parrot. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's pining. It's not pining. It's passed on. <laughs> this parrot is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to meet its maker. This is a late parrot. <laughs> Even before the Senate rejected the border bill, we already knew it was dead on arrival in the House. While the negotiations were ongoing, I had been pressing everyone I could on the non-negotiability of a 900-mile border wall within any piece of legislation that could be potentially viable in the Republican-led House of Representatives. The wall was a necessary but not sufficient piece of any legislation that could actually help resolve our current crisis. I turn to Byron York of the Washington Examiner. I think the parrot is dead, to quote Monty Python. What do you think, uh, Byron <laughs> <Yes>. York? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Did, did you see the quote from John Thune, number two in the Senate, Republican uh, number two in the Senate? So he's asked about this, and he hasn't come out against it. John Barrasso, number three, has come out against it. Mitch McConnell, of course, is the only you know guaranteed yes vote, as a matter of fact. So they asked Thune, and he said... Um, I'm like everyone else. I'm reviewing the text. I think James Lankford worked as hard as he could. Got the best deal he could under the circumstances. We'll see where it goes. That is, that's like last rites. In in the Catholic Church, we'd be Latin. We'd get the Latin guys singing in the background, the Gregorian chant going. Joni Ernst said much the same thing. Because, look, Lankford did work hard. But Democrats don't want a secure border, Byron. If they did, they could do it tomorrow. And obviously, and, and you know, even even if the bill had actual provisions that Republicans liked, they wouldn't trust the current executive branch to actually enforce it. I mean, that's been the whole problem: is that President Biden's claim 
that uh, he needed this law to be able to, quote, close down the border uh, was absolutely ludicrous. I mean, he has all the, the authority he, he needs right now to do so. So, I mean, it was, it was just it was all fake, and it, and it, and it always was. The thing you've got to think about here is Ukraine and Israel. Because it was just the world's stupidest thing to attach aid to Ukraine and Israel. And there are people who object to both on Capitol Hill. But it was the craziest thing in the world to attach aid to Ukraine and Israel to the most intractable, unsolvable issue in American politics, which is immigration. Unless you were going to build the wall. If they had done the one big thing that could get a bill passed— I don't even know if it would be enough, but it's a minimum, right? I always said it's the necessary but not sufficient step. There's $1.3 billion in the proposed bill for ankle bracelets. Yeah. Who, what that. were they thinking? <laughs> you know, the, the, the interesting idea is they, they act like it's really tough because we're going to detain more people. And clearly, what the, the, the way to solve the problem is to return more people, to not allow them to stay in the United States, to take away the reward of permanent residency in the United States for crossing illegally into the country. That that is it. It's not complicated. No, the draft legislation did not have a border wall within it. But that was not the only bad thing about it. Larry O'Connor ran through the other bad stuff on his podcast with townhall.com. Let's start right here. It doesn't end catch and release. Right now, the Biden policy is to catch people crossing the border illegally, write them a summons, and then release them into the country. Trump ended that policy. Number one most important point is they don't need a new law to end catch and release. If the president wants to end catch and release, if the secretary of Homeland Security wants to end catch and release, they can do it. But this actually does something worse than that. It facilitates catch and release for a whole lot of different populations. They're calling it the non-custodial removal proceedings. As of now, catch and release has just sort of been up to the whim of the president. Now they're codifying it into law. So if Trump becomes president in November and then he says, "Okay, we're going to end catch and release, they can say, no, 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 it's, it's in the law now. You have to release these people. All right. Number two, it exempts unaccompanied alien children, says UAC from the new break glass removal authority. Okay, so this is the thing that you saw, Lankford, and you'll see a lot of them saying, no, 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 we have a break the glass emergency where the president can, can if it reaches a certain point of illegal crossings or even, even asylum requests through the legal portals, that he can break the glass because there's too many, too many, you know, 5,000, I think, is the number that they keep saying, and then he can shut down the border. Okay, number one, false premise. They can shut down the border anytime they want. Okay, the president can declare an emergency. I know this to be true because that's exactly what Donald Trump did. You know how I know that? Because on day one, Joe Biden reversed his emergency order on the border. Okay, so of course they can do that. Now they've set that number to 5,000. But as you can see here, it exempts unaccompanied alien children. For context, almost half a million unaccompanied alien children have come during the Biden administration. So that's a half million who were completely exempt from the emergency order. So if you're an unaccompanied child, which means you are controlled right now by the drug cartels and the human traffickers, the coyotes, whatever, you're going to get your free pass across the border. Now, of course, we don't want children to be wandering around the desert in the wilderness. 
on that dangerous trek all by themselves. Of course we don't. You know the best way to keep children from being used as, as drug mules or, or to slip into human trafficking and go on this dangerous journey across Mexico to our border? The best way to stop that is to stop encouraging them to do it. If you say any child who shows up will not be accepted, then guess what? The children will stop coming. But there's another thing about that break the glass thing. 5,000 is the number that Langford, I saw Senator Langford from Oklahoma, was throwing around. During the Obama administration, then Secretary of Homeland Security, Jade Johnson, said that if they had 1,000 people crossing on any given day, it was unmanageable. It was a crisis. They couldn't handle it. Now they're codifying into law 5,000 as the emergency moment. Of course it will be exploited. All right, number three, does nothing to end perpetual settlement agreements that have undermined border security for decades. What they mean by that is they've had these agreements, class action lawyers make these these lawsuits on behalf of a certain class of illegal aliens. They get a federal judge to agree to this, and this just allows that to continue, basically. What happens is these lawyers get a federal judge or a U.S. attorney to make a an out-of-court settlement over being sued over border protection, and that settlement now becomes law. It becomes policy. Congress doesn't pass a law. No, a judge agrees to a out-of-court settlement between a U.S. attorney, usually appointed by either Biden or Obama, and some radical lawyer. You know, they, they got to agree to the settlement because the U.S. agreed to the settlement in court. Then that becomes the law. All right, number four from America First Legal. The bill effectively codifies the administration's absurd asylum officer rule Dozens of state attorneys general are currently challenging in court. They might as well call this the Asylum Officer Empowerment Act, meaning more and more aliens will get asylum based on lax adjudications and asylum equals a path to green card and citizenship. What happens is if you've got an asylum officer that, you know, doesn't is an activist and wants to grant asylum to everybody and they don't care, they're calling it lax asylum adjudications. That's not even lax. It's it's actually proactively. You get a judge who is also an activist, and they're going to grant asylum to everybody. Number five, we already hit this. The break glass emergency authority is a disaster. Secretary may use it if there are 4,000 or more aliens. By the way, that's the language. The break the glass is, is emergency shutdown of the border. The Secretary of Homeland Security may do that if it hits 4,000. First of all, what do you mean may? The Secretary of Homeland Security and the President may do it right now if there's 100 people crossing or 500 people crossing. He must use it. That's where they add the shall language. If it's more than 5,000 a day over a week. However, the president still has discretion to override that as well. Number six, non-Mexican unaccompanied American child are not counted in the total that triggers the emergency authority. Understand that? Number seven, If that wasn't bad enough, there's a provision that allows the Biden team to essentially opt anyone out from the new supposedly expedited proceedings. So they can opt out. They can use their discretion to opt people out. And, you know, some of these discretionary rules like probation that they've used right now that was always supposed to be in the discretion of the ICE agents or the Border Patrol. Biden last year decided they're going to use the probation provision that was in the law, which was supposed to be for various exceptions and using their discretion. Oh, my God, this woman is pregnant. She's about to go into labor. Let's go ahead and let her in. She can go to the hospital. What Biden did a few months ago was just lift that and say, we're using probation to bring in 20,000 a day. So all these things that are supposed to be at their discretion, they just use as a blanket exception. And that's exactly what they'll do here. 
All right, number eight, it allows Biden to suspend the new authority if he wants to, rendering it meaningless. See, so that's the important thing. So everything that the Republicans just pretended they were negotiating, Joe Biden, the day he signs it, he can just say, yeah, okay, so we're suspending this now on my discretion. And they can't do a damn thing about it. Number nine, the authority is limited in time duration going down each subsequent year, making it even more useless. So in other words, every year, the provisions that allow them to, you know, break the glass 5,000, whatever, that diminishes every single calendar year after they sign it. And number 10, the bill wastes a ton of taxpayer money, billions here and billions there for more processing. This is my favorite, $1.4 billion for more FEMA grants to provide shelter. There's also another $1.4 billion for ankle bracelets for people who are actually criminals that cross the border that they know they have a criminal record for. It's a complete and total utter disaster. Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer, the Democrats, they have been ignoring existing law. They've been ignoring the law that the border should be protected. They've been ignoring law with regard to asylum seekers. On day one, Joe Biden reversed all of the executive orders that Donald Trump had legally put forth. Coming up, the bottom line for Senator John Cornyn of Texas on why the bill died. If President Biden can't be trusted to enforce existing laws, then what gives us the confidence that he will enforce these new changes? When the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment, stay with us. This is Dennis Prager, and now a truly exciting new benefit. My monthly online video get-together for PragerTopia Plus members only. For an hour each month, get an exclusive chance to ask me anything. I'll be answering your questions. I've never done this. Submit your questions for me at PragerTopia.com. This is our chance to connect like never before. Go to PragerTopia.com or click the banner at DennisPrager.com. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The details with this proposed border bill mattered, and the details with this piece of legislation were not good. But there is a sense in which the contents of the bill were not the reason it could not garner GOP support. It really comes down to trust. I turn to the senior senator from the border state of Texas, John Cornyn. Talk to us a little bit about why the border bill is dead. Well, I think basically it boils down to a a lack of trust. Um, If President Biden can't be trusted to enforce existing laws, which were largely the same as ones in place when President Trump was in office, then what gives us the confidence that he will enforce these new changes? 
I think that's basically what happened. People realized, well, we can't trust him. And so uh, that's that's the reason I think it uh, fell apart. Now, Senator, I don't know if they're ever going to talk about this in the conference this year, but would you please, when it comes up again, pass along the message, no wall, no bill, because I really do believe nine out of 10 Republicans want that wall built over 900 miles of a 1,950-mile border, and unless and until it's in a bill, there ain't going to be a bill. Do you agree with me on that? I think it's an essential part of of a bill. The the challenge we have now there is the uh, catch and release policies of the Biden administration. People claiming asylum, of course, are walking in and turning themselves over. There are the issue of the gotaways, the 1.7 million people evading law enforcement, and certainly a physical wall would would help deter them. And uh, and then there's the uh, the fact that even if people aren't claiming asylum, just in order to manage the public relations problem. And the visual images on TV, the, the administration just releasing them and giving them work permits. Well, that's a huge magnet for more people to come. And they will. And they have. One million. That's the number of encounters with the illegal immigrants that have occurred just since the end of October, which is the start of the new fiscal year, November 1. These numbers were reported by Fox News this week. What is not included, of course, are the gotaways. The people who came into our country undetected. The people we don't know about. It's the earliest in the fiscal year that we've ever reached the number of a million people crossing the border without an invitation. Seth Leibson turned to Brandon Weikert from AM 960 The Patriot in Phoenix. This is an existential issue. This is literally what it is to be an American and what it is to be America. Because without borders, well, that's what the debate should there be. Is You're no right. Country. You're right. That's what the debate should be. And when I read about the ankle bracelets, yeah, I, you know, I thought, why are we funding that twice as much as we're funding wall building? And that right. reeked to me of special interest. Right. Well, I'm sure the company that builds them is getting a huge kickback. Well, I, um, I you know, I would be, lo- yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it raises the question, why all of a sudden ankle break? Right. I've, I've been right. talking about illegal immigration since 2000, right? probably, and I've never heard the word ankle bracelets in right. this debate. Right. Well, there's some contractor who's about to get a huge payout. Okay. Um, you know, the, the bottom line is this bill was make or break for the globalists. I mean, this was it. They needed this to happen for multiple reasons right now. They needed this pass, and the Republicans in the House had found a spine, and so they were really having their plans complicated. And then suddenly this, this normally stalwart conservative comes out of the left field, literally, and uh, you know, now is suddenly sounding like uh, you know, Chuck Schumer. Um, uh, you know, or, or, oh, my know, gosh, you, Chuck Schumer today uh, says if this isn't passed, Americans might have to fight themselves in Ukraine. I mean, my goodness gracious, right. what happened to the notion that we might not even need this bill if the law were just obeyed? Now, this is kind of an intellectual dive I want to do with you for a moment, if I can, if you'll forgive me. Um, you, the author of a book whose subtitle is How America Remains a Superpower. Yeah. Twixt something pretty depressing today. Yeah, I've been feeling a little down. Yeah, you said, I don't believe any political action will prevent the loss of America in this generation. To be fair, you said any conventional conventional political action will prevent the loss of America in this generation. Now, it's kind of interesting to me. There was a piece in the New York Times, I think it was yesterday, by Ross Duvat. I don't know if you may or may not have seen it. But he was saying, fair enough, but he was saying, 
that uh, our rivals in Beijing, Moscow, and Tehran all face much more difficult futures when it comes to growth, internal stability, and just the desire of their most talented citizens to stick around. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, China, it's the minority, but their minority is big. Their resoluteness is strong. Our resoluteness is weak. Not. (laughs) Yeah, and I feel, yeah, yeah, non-existent barely existent and i and i worry too about i don't have good words for this but just the way we have become used to numb inured if you want to kind of just a new awful normal kind of a suck around here you know yeah. it's hard to put your finger on it but it's yeah. kind of a post covid thing everything from customer yeah. service to holes blowing out in airplanes yeah. it's just yeah. long lines to get to an airplane not long yeah. long lines to wait to get off an airplane flights can't not if you're illegal they, they, well they, yeah they, yeah they, <laughs> <I> know, right? <laughs> but that actually there's a point to that too yeah veterans having to be put in behind the line for service to illegals and a lot of fronts, whether it's health care uh, benefits. I mean, yeah, that kind of thing just makes one not so proud to be an American. We're going to have two national yeah. anthems at the Super Bowl. God save us. Yeah, no. And, and you can't even say God save us anymore. You know, that's, that's also, that. <laughs> also that, um, you know, so, no, um, this is the worst aspects of 1970s America on steroids. Yeah. And unlike 1970s America, where there was a clear off-ramp, I don't know if there is. Yeah. Because even if Donald Trump, <laughs> it's a big if, even if Donald Trump can win, um, he, again, will find himself um, surrounded on every angle by enemies yeah. who are seeking to destroy him. And I don't know if any one man can save this country. And the problem with Trump is he tends to be a one-man band. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, you know, this is why I said I don't know if any conventional political maneuver can save us at this point. Right? The, 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 the rot is so pervasive. The enemies are within the gates. And most Americans are not really capable, I don't think, of understanding. They want to still believe this is 1996 America. Yeah, or they've become numb to the suck. Or they've become numb to it. In either case, it leads to the same thing. Ambivalence on the part of the people, we need to be paying attention, and it tends to invigorate the worst elements of our political class because they feed off of ambivalence. And so, uh, you know, and they have all the power right now, and they are cramming as many of these horrible things down our throat as possible. I think it's because they're worried they may lose their power soon. And so they're sort of like the demon at the end of the movie that's like, you know, going crazy because they want to just get as much bad things through as possible. That's what I think is going on here. The problem is when you flood the zone like that and you have an opposition party like the Republican Party, which is completely, completely gelded. Um, they, they're going to get through what they need to long before Trump gets elected, if he can get elected in a fair election. And so, you know, that's why I get very depressed, because it's this sort of cloward piven type strategy where they're just overwhelming the system with insanity. And uh, the opposition is simply either bought out uh, controlled opposition like the Republicans, or they're completely ambivalent because they can't take it anymore. And it, and it leads to the same place. It leads to tyranny and collapse. Coming up, the U.S. strike on Iranian proxies. 
If you want peace, prepare for war. The inverse is true. If you want war, continually prepare for peace. And that's what we've been doing. Victor Davis Hanson, when the Town Hall Review returns in a moment. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. We'll turn now to the greater Middle East, where, beginning in October, U.S. military assets and personnel have been the target of over 160 attacks, largely from the Houthi rebels in Yemen, but also many Iraqi militias, and everywhere the hand of Iran. But only after an attack on U.S. troops in Jordan killed three U.S. Army soldiers did the Biden administration make any substantive response to the rebel groups or Iran the nation behind all the mayhem in the region. We turn now to Victor Davis Hanson, joined with Jack Fowler on his podcast. The great Roman uh, military analyst Vegetus said, if you want peace, prepare for war. The inverse is true. If you want war, continually prepare for peace. And that's what we've been doing. There's three versions how we got into this mess. Number one, and they're not mutually exclusive, a Pavlovian response. Joe Biden came in. Jake Sullivan would later say the Middle East was calm, and he said to himself, I'm going to overturn every single thing in foreign policy that that SOB Trump has his fingerprints. So he despised Trump, so he said, oh, got out of the Iran deal? Get back in. Did Trump uh, raise sanctions and cost them $90 billion? Lift them. Did he call the Houthis terror? Lift it. Did he cut off Hamas? Give it back. Did he uh, have this Abrams Corp? Junk the Abrams. And that's what he did. And he took a mild, calm region and turned it into a hellhole. Then number two, he may have been doing all of this crazy things in addition, because as I said before, he has a crazy idea that he inherited from Barack Obama, that if you empowered the Shia Persian Crescent from Tehran to Beirut to Gaza, then you would have creative tension against the Gulf monarchies, Jordan, Egypt, Israel. And we would step in and not have to be the policeman, but we would adjudicate, playing them off as neutrals. In other words, we had just as much in common with a theocracy in Iran as we did with the constitutional government in Israel. If you doubt me, ask yourself when they had the Green Movement 11 days into the Obama administration in 2009. He didn't say a word as if all these poor Iranians on the street risking their lives were neocons, and he was against that. Or three, he just said to himself, I'm in an election year, and I'm 80 years old, and I don't want a screw-up. So whatever it takes to buy people off, Iran, give them the $90 billion. I don't like them, but if they have hostages, give them a billion point two for each hostage. Hamas, and just give them some be nice money. Just give them 700 million bucks. And so he did that, and they interpreted that magnanimity as weakness to be exploited, not to be reciprocated in kind, by not retaliating immediately in a measured response and not reinstituting economic sanctions on oil and travel bans and sanctions against military and economic leaders in Iran. The longer you don't do that, the more you will have to 
accelerate and expand your response uh, the longer that it's delayed. It's like mowing the lawn. If you don't mow the lawn when the grass is an inch high, then try it when it's five inches high, and you almost kill yourself trying to do it. And that's where we are right now. So now they're going to have to have a sustained attack. And if they don't, people all around the world are going to say, well, that was just nothing. It was nothing. They're not, they're not, they didn't do anything. All you did was throw a bunch of bombs. And the world is watching, Jack, for another reason. There is an impression, fair or not, that the United States either does not have or will not use its accustomed power to help its friends and punishes its enemies. Maybe it's we've given too many of our stockpiled weapons to Ukraine or Israel. We're not producing them. Maybe it's the thirty to 50,000 short recruits. Maybe it's the notorious DEI promotions and retention policies that have not rewarded merit. Maybe it's the weaponization of the four-star class that seem to can't keep their mouth shut and they have to weigh in, retired and current, on every political issue, whether it's McChrystal or McCaffrey or Michael Hayden, whoever it is, James Clapper, they just can't be quiet. Whatever it is, of all these reasons, there is an impression that we will not deter our enemies. And this is a chance for, to everybody, for everybody to be seen, to see that we can deter it has to be sustained. It has to destroy their capability. And I don't think you can do that unless you address, you don't have to go into Iran, but you have to sanction it. Why do we allow any Iranians that are not refugees and hate that regime to come to this country? We should go through every single university and anybody who is an Iranian national without due citizenship and is not checked out by the CIA, FBI, whatever, should be sent back home immediately. And we've got to do that. Otherwise, you're going to risk a wider war. And we don't want that. So if you do it incrementally and steadily and serially, then you don't have to all of a sudden say, oh, my God, look what's happened. We've got to go bomb Tehran or something. So we'll see how long it's, it's going to be sustained. Coming up, UNRWA exposed. It is a refugee agency just for those Palestinian Arabs that were dislocated by the 1948 war. So how did it go from 300,000 refugees to 5.9 million refugees? Dan Senor, when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. John Solomon provides exclusive reporting and newsmaker interviews on John Solomon Reports on the Salem Podcast Network. We broke this story because we got the documents early. They put out this new information, and it affirms our reporting that this Democrat donor gave about $5 million or more in assistance to Hunter Biden, basically paid off his bills. Subscribe to John Solomon Reports today on Apple, Spotify, Google, Rumble, or at SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu this week rejected a ceasefire deal with Hamas, calling the plan delusional. The statement from Netanyahu reflects the resolve that is shared across the political spectrum in the Jewish state. The attack of October 7th gave Israelis clarity. They recognized they could no longer live next door to a Gaza run by Hamas. The world got additional clarity on the true nature of UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency in the Near East. Late last month, Israel released a report documenting the direct participation of UNRWA employees in the October 7 massacres. I turned to Dan Senor, host of the Call Me Back podcast. I didn't know anything about UNRWA until a week ago. I just thought, 
UNRWA, UN must be doing good things, probably giving out grain and cereal and stuff. They're an arm of Hamas. They should not exist. They should be destroyed, not destroyed. They should be disestablished. Do you think anyone is going to stand by their side going forward? It's a great question. So so let me just take a step back, Hugh, because I think like you, many, many of your many of your listeners and many of my listeners, too, had no idea what this was. So for those of us like I've been immersed in these issues in Israel for some time and there are some issues there, it's they're so absurd and they're so longstanding that you become numb to them. And you say, okay, I'm not going to fight on this issue because I got to fight on that that issue, even though it's the craziest thing in the world. You just kind of like learn to live with it. And then something like October 7th happens and it brings into focus all the absurdities. And finally, people start to wake up and say, wait a minute. So in the case of UNRWA, this UN, United Nations, it stands for United Nations Relief and, and Works Agency in quote unquote Palestine. And it is a refugee agency just for those Palestinian Arabs that were dislocated by the 1948 war. Okay, that's interesting. But then you say, well, well, how does the U.N. deal with other refugees around the world? Well, the U.N. has a separate body, the U.N. High Commission on Refugees, that deals with all the other refugees from around the world, anywhere in the world. Refugees from the Syrian Civil War, refugees from World War II, refugees from, you know, the Congo, refugees from Sudan, any country in the world. The U.N. has one body that deals with all the refugees around the world. And then it has a separate body that just deals with Palestinian refugees. So that's sort of curious. Then you ask, how many refugees were there actually dislocated by the uh, Israeli War of Independence in 1948? According to the UN, the UNRWA's own numbers, it was about 300,000. So then you say, okay, then you go to the UNRWA website and say, well, how many are today? How many refugees are there today? 5.9 million. So how did it go from 300,000 refugees to 5.9 million refugees. And the answer is this body is the only body in the UN that doesn't count refugees as only, quote unquote, the original refugees, those original 300,000, but it automatically transfers a refugee status to all the descendants of the refugees, including anyone that any child, grandchild, great grandchild that that refugee has or adopts with no end in sight. And Dan, when I learned that, I said they're making up on volume what they cannot achieve on price. It's really nuts. And I think it's been a revelation to the civilized world. I wanted to ask you about something John Podhort said on commentary this week. Had a long roundtable about Jews in America. Uh, A Chabad rabbi got beat up and chased in Washington, D.C. this week. It's not the only anti-Semitic violence that we've seen. Unfortunately, we've seen more anti-Semitic violence in the last four months in the United States than I've seen in my 67 years. How do you as a Jew feel in in New York City? I mean, do you feel safe? No, Uh, I'll tell you, Hugh, it's uh, as the I'm the son of a Holocaust survivor. Uh, My mother's 85, healthy, thank God, lives in Jerusalem today. She survived the Holocaust as a little girl. Her, Her father was killed at Auschwitz. Uh, she was on the run during the war. She escaped, she and her mother. I grew up because of that with the Holocaust, fear of anti-Semitism sort of present all the time growing up. That's what, like, like my mother would talk about that all the time. Honestly, she came by it honestly. And while I understood it intellectually, I never felt it viscerally until October 7th. And for the first time in my life since October 7th, I 
kind of understand what my mother would talk about. I, I, I worry about my own physical safety. My children go to a Jewish day school, a, a parochial religious school. Uh, I think about the security of that school, of that building all the time. It's right near my home. I walk by it all the time. I see the NYPD cars in front of it on some days because of concerns. I have friends who've been physically attacked. In, so it's, it's, it's such a – I have close friends who've been injured in po- October 7th and post. I have close friends who have loved ones um, who've either been injured, kidnapped, or, or killed and in Israel. And then I have friends in the United States who are the victims of anti-Semitic attacks. So I just think about that as a Jew. Every part of your Jewish world is under siege, right? You're, you're the Jewish state, which was supposed to never let a Holocaust happen again. It's partly why it exists, is in a fight for its survival. And Jews in the diaspora are feeling under siege. And so it is... Um, I don't want to sound overly dramatic. It's just it's 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 quite disorienting. And, and you know, it, well, it, you I think, think it's a realigning a issue. I, I think I think every American Jew has to figure out where they are politically in light of what has happened. And that brings me to an issue that is unrelated and related to ten seven. There is a fence in Gaza. They broke through the fence. Right now, there is a border security bill in the United States. I know you don't do domestic politics much. But while 3 million people come over the border and 2,990,000 of them are fine, we have to assume there are 10,000 bad guys coming across the border as well. Do you think it has occurred to any of our enemies to do here what they did in southern Israel on 10-7? You know, I, it, it, it's, it's not crazy what you're saying at all. I, I think about that because we, are, we the United States, now are in a heightened state of security. Uh, we've had three of our... Uh, armed forces personnel killed in the Gulf area. Tensions are escalating with Iran via their proxies, uh, but make no mistake about it, their proxies aren't really the problem. The problem is Iran. And, and Iran has activated proxies to wage terror around the world. It activated Hezbollah to conduct a, a terror operation in the early 90s in, in Buenos Aires to, to bomb the Jewish community center in Argentina. It killed something over over 100 people. They've conducted terror operations really all over the world. Would they contemplate a terror? Would Iran, via its proxies, contemplate a terror operation in the United States? Well, there have been intelligence threats over the years that they would. Uh, wouldn't this be a time to do it? If they would do it, isn't a scenario like the one you described? American girls. Coming up, the passing of a country legend. We lean on God when times get tough, and then we take him for granted when they're not. He said, so I've just tried to make sure I lean on him every day instead of just the hard days. Remembering Toby Keith in the final segment of the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. 
Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Country music legend Toby Keith died this past week at the age of 62 after a battle with stomach cancer. Keith was known for his bold and proud love for America, love for our troops, and a love of freedom. Keith lived pretty hard, but somewhere near the end of his life, something changed. John Rich, a country music star in his own right, joined Todd Starnes on his podcast. John, I'm curious to hear from you as a musician, as an artist, and as a patriot. What kind of an impact did Toby Keith have on your life? You know, he was uh, the kind of guy that he loved his country. He didn't just say he loved his country. He actually would travel overseas every year, several times a year, and go to where the troops were. He would go to the most dangerous spots in the world to let them know, hey, it's not just lip service. I'm here to tell you we really support you and appreciate your sacrifice and your service to the country and that was pretty much his attitude so this is a gut punch 62 is awful young to lose anybody but to lose him and the kind of voice that he had uh it's a big loss for everyone it was you know i, I see a lot of uh, not just in, in how you, you you live your life and you're with the troops i mean you're you're one of those guys but you're also cut from that same cloth this is a guy who lived it you know he was uh, he came up he was a hard worker working in the oil fields it took him a while to get to where he wanted to be in this life. And I think you can see that. You can feel that grit in a lot of the music that he wrote. Yeah, he didn't luck into anything. Right. I mean, he played all the honky-tonks in Texas and Oklahoma, just like I did. But, you know, grinding it out, trying to make the greatest music you can, and then, of course, navigating the music row waters that, that a country singer has to navigate, and then navigate it back out of that and able to be an independent guy. There's a lot to be admired there. I actually just saw this morning what they claim to be the last interview Toby Keith ever did. And the interviewer asked him, you know, how is your state of mind right now not knowing what's going to happen? And he says, well, we lean on God when times get tough and then we, we take him for granted when they're not. He said, so I've just tried to make sure I lean on him every day instead of just the hard days. And he says, when this is all over with, I know where I'm going. So I'm good either way. I was really glad to hear him say that because he, like a lot of us, back in our beginnings of our careers and through there, I mean, it's a wild situation, man. I mean, it's it's crazy out there on the road. And uh, to see that he had come all the way back full circle and locked in with God and had his faith intact and was not afraid of, of what was coming, that to me was just an, an incredible thing for him to say here towards the end of his life. I think people should really listen to what he said and the truth is, none of us know when our last day is, and um, we need to take that into account every single day as much as we can. With all the nonsense going on in the world and in our country, it's easy to forget what's really real and really true, but it sounded to me, based on his answer, he had gotten a firm grip on what's really true and real, and I think he exited with a lot of grace. Thank you for joining us for the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. You can get the full conversation of Todd Starnes with John Rich at townhallreview.com. Let me point out real quick, you can get Todd Starnes' podcast, my podcast, Victor David Hansen's podcast, we heard him earlier in the show, and this program, Town Hall Review, all at the Salem Podcast Network.com. I'm Hugh Hewitt. 
Thank you for joining us. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.